0: following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shore.org.nz. The movie is 300, and I'm not going to lie to you, not a children's movie, so be aware of that. But I, I find when I watch a movie like 300, there are some very deep philosophical questions that arise within me like why are they wearing such big heavy capes if they're not really going to be wearing much of anything else or if they didn't wear the capes would they just be a bunch of dudes running around in their undies of course if I had abs like them I probably wouldn't wear much either you should really be glad I did not costume up for this <laughs> message this morning okay let's just be, let's just be happy about that But aside from the epic manliness of that scene, I really love this theme that comes through. There's this strong theme of identity. He's asking these people, who are you? What do you do? I'm a potter. I'm a sculptor. I'm a blacksmith. And he asks his men, who are you? And of course, they you know, who are, you know, we're soldiers. And it's this great concept. I brought more soldiers than you did. And there's like this complete giving of themselves to their role. I, mean, this, this, I don't know if you're aware of the story of 300. It's kind of a truish historical story about 300 Spartan soldiers who are going up against Xerxes and his 300,000 men, way outnumbered. I mean, completely and hopelessly um, outmatched. But they go because that's what they do. They go because they are soldiers, and that's just who they are. And the sense of identity flows through that movie really, really strongly, and I really enjoyed that. And so they marched on because they were soldiers. And it's that conviction of their identity that allowed them to push forward against all odds. It's very inspiring. Very gory. Don't watch it. It's very inspiring, though. But the sense of identity is a very strong one for me. If you've heard me preach more than about two or three times, you've probably heard me talk about identity. It's a very strong and personal thing for me. I wanted to tell you a story um, of my youth. And this is a story actually of why someone needs to step up and become a youth worker in this school. Because the age of the children who are attending this school are at a point in their lives where their identity is being formed. It is being formed not by their parents, but by the peers, by the people around them. And the way that the group sees them is the way that they will come to see themselves. So please, we need voices of positivity in these schools. Because when I was 12 years old and I was in an intermediate, I got a nickname. My nickname was Skunk. I don't really want to get into why or how I got that nickname. But it was a deeply affecting thing to me. Because it wasn't just the name or the nickname or the fact that I don't know how it caught on, but everybody called me that. In fact, there was one guy who even wanted me to sign his yearbook, Skunk in there, and he thought he was being friendly. But it's like this, this concept, it, was, it represented how I was seen by everybody. I was pretty low on the whole <laughs> social totem pole, as you can imagine. So I had this label, and this label defined me. And this label represented who I was, who I was in the community, and therefore how I was to myself. It is a label that was so strongly imprinted in only one year at that time of my life that even now, 20 years later, I still can't say the word skunk without having a reaction. I still can't even watch a Warner Brothers cartoon with Pepe Le Skunk, or whatever his name is, Pepe Le Pew, without, it just doesn't, it doesn't feel good. 20 years later, it has that effect. Labels, identity, matter. Which is why I'm so proud of the work that Molly and the others do in this school of having that positive voice, of having new labels, new identities to present, to speak into young people's lives so that they can grow up knowing who they are. So, as we approach our passage this morning, I want us to be thinking about this concept of identity, this concept of labels. Who am I? Our passage is in the book of Judges, it's chapter 6, Judges is a great, we went through Judges before, and it's this great uh, collection of different stories um, of God working in the lives of His people. And as we get to chapter 6, we're introduced to a character named Gideon. And in the first 10 verses of the chapter, you get this kind of very familiar story of what's happening in the life of Israel. Um, Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord is how it starts. So yep, for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. So basic concept, they do bad. God says, all right, I'm going to punish you. But this is a really powerful oppression. I want to read, this is not up on the screen, but I just want to read it to you. He says, because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock in their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land and they ravaged it. Midian was so impoverished to the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. This is a rough time. And I want you to think about this. I mean, apart from the fact that economically this is devastating to the Israelites. But I want you to think about what it does to their identity what it does to who you are that we can't plant crops because they're just going to come in and, and destroy them. We have to hide in caves in the hills because we're not safe in our lands. We can do nothing about these people. We can do nothing about it. Think about what that does to who you are as a people. And then I cry out to God. And then God in His true fashion sends help. And so what we have in our passage this morning is we have another moment of calling. Actually, it's is kind of a theme of the last couple of weeks with me. And we have this moment. The angel of the Lord came down and sat under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Israelite guy. Where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. So again, he's doing this and he's hiding, he's creating food hidden away so that no one will know. Um, then the Lord, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, "The Lord is with you, mighty warrior, mighty warrior." It's an interesting sort of concept. I kind of picture this scene. I don't know how you picture this, but I can just see this sort of rural setting. You know, and, and you've kind of got this kind of rolling hills and this wine press here. And Gideon is, is just kind of like he's just a farm boy. You know, he's a young man, he's not particularly powerfully built or anything like that. He's just kind of doing his thing, he's hiding away, he's trying to make some food. And then he walks out and he goes down the path towards his house, maybe. And sitting under this tree, under this oak tree, is this guy. And I kind of envision him as kind of like this cowboy-looking guy. He's kind of relaxed against the tree. He's got some sort of twig or something, toothpick in his mouth, you know, hat hung low over his eyes. And as Gideon walks past, he's like, God is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon's like... I'm sorry, what now? <laughs> Strange man talking to himself. And he looks around, there's no one else here. And he's thinking, obviously this guy is muttering something under his breath. And then the man kind of lifts his hat. And he's kind of got those Clint Eastwood eyes that's looking boring straight through your soul. You know, he's looking at you at that and he knows immediately. He's talking to him. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon, of course, is kind of, um, what? (laughs) He said, what now? And so he kind of stumbles in his mind a little bit, and then Gideon says, but sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. This is a classic redirection ploy. Have you ever noticed this, that when God comes and talks to someone and makes them uncomfortable, they kind of change the subject a little bit? You know, I mean, Jesus did this with the woman at the well, and the woman at the well is starting to get uncomfortable, so he starts kind of, she throws a theological question at the guy. And we've got the same thing, because again, this angel of the Lord said, the Lord is with you. And what's Gideon's reply? If the Lord is with us, kind of deflecting that personal sort of label here. Then why has all of this happened? The Lord turned to him completely undeterred and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? If you were here last week, that will be a familiar phrase. But Lord, getting asked, And this is the classic. This is the classic verse that just encapsulates what we're seeing this morning. How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Manasseh, as a clan of one of the weakest nations in the world at this time, I am the least of the least of the least skunk this is his label this is his identity this is who he is i just i think this is this is very important for us because we kind of take on this identity in a lot of ways especially in our spiritual lives we're the least of the least we're useless we have nothing to offer god's response again if you're here last week this will be familiar too i will be with you and you will strike down the midianites all the midianites together leaving none alive this is a great story from the from the from the face of it It's a really cool story. This is a real underdog story, isn't it? And we kind of resonate with that too, don't we? I mean, us Kiwis, we love ourselves an underdog story. We love ourselves a David and Goliath type scenario. And we've got one right here. Because here's Gideon, least of the least of the least. He's going to end up with only 300 guys following him. And then they're going to have to go up against over 140,000 Midianite soldiers. I mean, it's impossible odds, right? That's kind of the point. And so we've kind of got this real underdog thing going, and we like that. Why do we like that? Because we are the underdog, aren't we? This little country in the bottom of the world, and we love the idea of socking it to the big guys. I mean, no one is obsessed with the Olympic medal per capita table as we are, you know? It doesn't matter how many medals you've got, it's how much per population. Till Fiji beat us out, and then it's, you know, that's still just Fiji, so it's whatever. I mean, we love this idea of the little guy coming out on top. And so we look at this story, and we're like, yes, this is our story. God is the God of the underdog except there's a little bit of a problem, because God is not the God of the underdog. Now, I know what we mean by that. God sticks up for the little guy. God comes along and helps those who can't help themselves, and that's all very true. But the statement, God is the God of the underdog, misses the point entirely. And I think this is what Gideon was struggling with and what we often struggle with in our own lives. God is not the God of the underdog. Let me put it this way. Um, when I was in college, uh, we had an intramural sort of indoor soccer team. Okay? So, so a bunch of us from the um, kitchen staff area, from the cafe, cafeteria staff, we all put together a team, and we just got to have some fun, and we got out there. and It became apparent within about... Five minutes of the first game that we did not belong. <laughs> we did not have a place here. Uh, we got beaten so badly for four years straight. Uh, I don't know why we kept coming back. It was, it was fun. I mean, more often than not, they would stop scoring the other team. After a while, they would get up to 20 points, and it's like, All right, just forget it. And we would, like, we would just go out there. We're just trying to score a goal, you know? We're just trying to have, have fun. We would score a goal, and we would celebrate like we had just won the World Cup. Like, this is the greatest thing in the world, and everyone else is, guys, come on. Seriously, what are you doing? That's fine. We had fun. We were the underdogs, right? I mean, that was very clear to everybody. Now, let's just say I pulled some strings and I got my good friend and comrade, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, to come and join me on the team. He and I go way back. We went to different high schools together. We were real close. And so let's say he comes on this team. This team is no longer the underdogs, right? doesn't matter who his teammates are doesn't matter how horrible we are, we just stand and block the goal while he does everything else. We are going to win the championship. We're going to win that little pathetic little plastic trophy, and it's going to happen every year because we have him on our team. You see where I'm going with this? Gideon is not the underdog anymore because of verse 12. And he says, the Lord is with you because God plus anything equals better than everything. Right? We are no longer underdogs if God is with us. We are the overwhelming favorites. We cannot be defeated. We cannot be touched because God is on our side. God is not the God of the underdog. It's impossible to be on his side and be an underdog. So, kind of comes down to us then, doesn't it? Who are you? Are you least of the least of the least? Are you underdog? Are you skunk? If you answer yes to any of those, then perhaps we need to get back into the Bible a little bit more and read what's happening. Because the Lord is with us. So who does that make us? Mighty warriors. And God is calling all of us out there's a great song that Nate's going to sing in a little bit about God calling us out onto the waters. And the story I told last week of Peter and Jesus, and Jesus has come out onto the water. And it's, God is calling all of us out of our boat, onto the water, into his plan, into his mission, into whatever it is he has got planned for us. He's calling us into this. And he does not call us as underdogs. He does not call us as least of the least. He calls us as mighty warriors. You are a mighty warrior. And yet unlike Peter, we often stay frozen in the boat. And we struggle to accept this title. We struggle to accept this identity as mighty warrior. Why? Well, true to preaching form, I have three reasons. (laughs) I think the first reason is that we don't actually believe we can be the mighty warrior. You know, for all the miracles we see in the Bible, for all of these amazing stories, we just can't get over it. We just can't quite get ourselves to this point of like, you know what? I am this person. I can understand that a little bit. In the last 20 years of my life, I have taken on this mantle of of skunk, this mantle of useless and worthless. I have been told by so many people, you know, I have a very supporting wife, loving kids. They all tell me constantly how wonderful they think I am. But sometimes it just bounces off. I don't know, maybe we, we need to have our own counseling to help with that. I know that's helped me. Maybe it's our upbringing. Maybe we're just so sort of convinced of how sinful we are that there's a possible way that we could be a mighty warrior in God's eyes. Maybe it's our circumstances. Maybe it's the calling God's given us. Maybe like Gideon, We're kind of facing 140,000 Midianites with 300 farmers behind us thinking, yeah, I know you're big, God, but come on. This is a little ridiculous. This is a little hard. And we don't see what's happening. I think this is true of all of that, actually. We don't see what is happening. I love this great story in 2 Kings. I don't really want to read it all out to you. It's up on the screen, though. But there's uh, this story of, uh, is it Elisha? This a man of God. There you go, Elisha, there you go. Elisha, he's, he's kind of being chased down by this king and he's surrounded by this entire army. And he's playing it real cool, but his attendant is being like, he's freaking out. It's like, it's just us against all of these guys. What's going on? We're going to die. And Elisha simply prays, God, open this fool's eyes. And he opens his eyes and he sees the vast armies of angels surrounding that other army. And suddenly he realized they outmatched them. I want you to open your eyes and see that you outmatch anything and everything that comes your way. Second reason is kind of similar to the first one is this fear factor. We're afraid of becoming the mighty warrior. And actually, I, I talked a lot about this fear um, last week, so I'm not going to get into it this week. Look at the podcast. Have a listen to that. That'd be great. But this third one, this is an interesting one. This is the one where we don't actually want to be mighty warrior. And it's these people who actually understand what God's asking. They understand what it means. They understand what it is to take on the mantle of mighty warrior because that means you go ahead and have to fight mighty battles. And God asks you to do mighty things. And we're just like, oh, I don't know about that. I got this really great job promotion coming up. It's, I've been working towards this for a long time. And maybe you have, and I don't want to belittle that. You know, we, we just We just had kids. You know, we just, we've got to settle them into a school. We've, we've got this, we've got that. We've got all of these things. And we have all of these reasons lined up before God of why we don't really want to do this right now. Can you get back to me in a year? I'd be quite happy to be mighty warrior. Then I just kind of want to stay as least of the least farmer right now um, while I get my ducks in a row, and then I'll step out. You know, It's like Peter standing in the boat saying, Hang on a second, Jesus. Hold on. I just got to finish this text. Um, I'm coming. Coming. And I think that's actually the way God sees that. When God says, come, when God says, go, whatever kind of verb he wants to use there, he's not saying later or when you feel like it. He says to Gideon, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. You are going to go and defeat the Midianites. And he had to go. So we have to decide whether we want to follow him or not. Puts us in a very difficult position. Jesus was pulled no punches with that when he asked people to follow him. Put down your nets. Don't put them away. Don't sell that load of fish first. Follow me. Drop. Follow me. Don't go bury your father first. Let the dead bury the dead. Follow me now. (laughs) This is our calling. So I don't know where you are in your life. I don't know what particular calling God has in your life. I talked about this last week. We all have general callings to to worship, to share the gospel, to look after the poor and, and to love one another. You may have a more specific calling in mind. Like Nate and I have been called to start a church, start a new church. Um, And so we can't just put that off. We must go. But the key is how are we going to go? And whose name? I know whose name I'm following, but whose name am I taking with me? Because I'll tell you one thing. I can't go a skunk. That guy's useless. That guy has no confidence. That guy has no ability to step out and do something. That guy believes he is worthless. He can't church plant. But there's this guy called Mighty Warrior. He can do it. Because he has God in him. He has God in his corner. He is invincible with the power of the almighty creator. He could do it. So can you. You can do anything that God has asked you to do because God has asked you to do it. But you must claim that name for yourself. Mighty warriors. Let me pray. Lord, you know my journey, and you know the ups and downs, and you know, Lord, that it's not just a matter of, oh, okay, I guess I'll just reject these names that I've given myself and these labels that people have put on us. You know, it's not that simple. But at the same time, Lord, your power, your identity, is stronger than anything. And you call us out on the water because you have made us new. And you have taken our old names and they have died on that cross with you. The old is gone and the new has come. And the new name that you give us is Mighty Warrior. We can accomplish anything with that name and in your army. So give us that confidence, Lord. Slay our old identities. Destroy them as you destroyed the Midianites. Destroy their power in our lives and help us to claim this new identity of mighty warrior. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shore Community Church.